0: to Artwatch Podcast. I'm your host Tori and I have some very, very exciting news. We finally have a website and get this, we also have merch. If I could use the hard eyes emoji, I would, but you can't see that. <laughs> um, but the website is www.artwatchpodcast.com And all of the episodes are available there. Right now it's this Podbean plugin, which is like the host site of my podcast. But I'm trying to figure out how to make it a little bit more smooth into the website, but also still be able to track the analytics of it. Um, So yeah, it's it's coming along and there's a page for blog posts that are going to be coming soon. I might use this as like a bibliography page combined with updates. I'll figure out a way to have it so that you can subscribe and that way you can stay up to date on posts. If you like the idea of a bibliography page and that way you can kind of see what sources I've used to create the episodes that we have listened to or that you have listened to so far. um, Just let me know. I'm happy to do that. And that way, like for any students out there that are doing research, it's just another way for you to, you know, add to your, your own bibliography. Um, But there's also merch on the website, which I'm very, very excited for. I actually just got one of my own pre-orders of it to make sure that I could test the quality. And let me tell you, it's amazing. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell something to you that I thought had poor quality, but the quality is fantastic. And I've got a t-shirt that is available from, I believe it's extra small all the way to 4XL. And there's I selected a couple different colors for you to choose from, um, but I picked ones that I thought would go great with the Artwatch logo that was designed by Margarita. And thank you so much for designing the logo. And yeah, so there's a t-shirt, there's a coffee cup in two sizes, your regular size coffee cup for if you know, you just love coffee or tea or whatever. And then there's the gigantic size, which is 15 ounces. If you are like, I live off of coffee, my blood is coffee, that's the cup for you. And then I've also got a tote bag so that you know, you can go to the grocery store and use reusable bags instead of, you know, plastic bags. So not only are you gonna have some great art watch merch you're also going to help save the planet which we love that you know and there's also stickers in different sizes they are currently only in the square shape (laughs) but i'll figure out to like a couple different designs for other shaped circles and then also they come in like a three by three four by four and i believe it's like five and a half by five and a half um inches And so, yeah, you get to choose a size, and then there's also, I just put up there, a necklace. It says Art Watcher, because I'm going to try and make that a thing where people that listen to the podcast, they're Art Watchers. Because we love to look at art. We like to watch art. Get it? Art Watch Podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm making horrible jokes now. But anyway check out the website. There's a way, you know, a reminder for you to contact me on there. It has my email, it has the social media, there's links to the Patreon, which we're about to come into our Patreon shout out. Um, So shout out to Caitlin for being a patron. And I'm so grateful for you supporting the podcast. And if you would also like to become a patron, you can visit patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast or there's a direct link on the website now, so you could just little click the Become a Patron tab, and it'll take you to Patreon. But there are a couple different members' levelship, membership levels. Oh my gosh, I can't talk. So there's the first one, it's $3 a month. This goes for general support, which is fantastic if you want to become a $3 a month member. I'm eternally grateful. Like I said, any, any membership level you become a patron at, I'm so incredibly thankful for your support. Um, But this one, it's just for general support. That goes to helping me pay for the website, helping me pay for Podbean subscription to have it on everything from, you know, Podbean to Spotify, still working on Pandora and Hat Radio. I feel like they're just ignoring my emails. But anyway, so this is just general support. And thank you. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. The next one is Art Watcher. It's $6 a month. And this is the general support that you saw on the $3 membership level, but then you'll also start getting the patron shout-out on every episode, and you'll become close friends on Instagram. So check it out. There's also the next one, Art Lover, $12 a month. Everything before, but then you start getting discounts on merch, which is great because we finally have merch. Oh, my gosh. Again, I'm going to plug that. Check out the website. And then the next level, Art Expert, you must really, really love Watch Podcast, and I'm so, so thankful. It's $30 a month. Everything before, you'll start getting exclusive content on the Patreon page, and this is where I'll do, um, like, extended cuts of episodes, different blog posts that aren't on the Watch Podcast website. You'll also get merch discounts and sales, and then you'll start getting actual merch through Patreon. Um, So, all put together, there's going to be individual stickers, mugs, or tote bags that will happen once per quarter, and the designs will change every season of every year. Um, So you'll never get the same thing twice, which is awesome. And the merch on here will be different from the merch that's on the ArtWatch podcast website. So it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more specialized, but it's still really nice. Um, And then the final level, if you really want to do this, I know it's a lot of money. $50 a month. So you're going to get everything that I've said before. And then you're also going to get a t-shirt for the summer and a hoodie for the fall just before winter hits because I don't know about you, I have a jacket obsession. I've already talked about my coffee cup slash water bottle addiction but I really like hoodies and I have to go through my own. Anyway, but you'll get a hoodie for the fall and it'll be great. Again, designs will change every season, every year, so you're never gonna get the same thing twice and it'll be something that isn't available on the actual artwatchpodcast.com, the website. Oh my gosh, check it out, I'm so excited for it. Okay, so that is that. If you would like to become a patron, again, patreon.com slash artwatchpodcast or you can click the link in the website and um whatever level you choose i am so 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 thankful um but yeah so as always make sure you're downloading each episode and share with your friends follow on social media at artwatch podcast on instagram and twitter if you'd really like i can make a facebook page i don't really know what i would put on a facebook page but you know what we can figure it out together um (laughs) So yes, thank you so much for all the support and all of the listens and follows thus far. I'm really hoping we continue to grow. So again, make sure you share with your friends. And now we're going to jump into today's topic. Today's artist is going to be Lola Cueto. I absolutely love her work. I talked about her in my master's thesis. So I'm very excited to now talk about her with you all. But okay, so who is she? She was born in Mexico in 1897. She died in 1978. Her name is actually Maria Dolores Velasquez Rivas, or Lola for short, which is actually I learned this winter, this, well not this winter break, almost a year ago now when I did my study abroad. I finally got to see my, my friend Anna in Mexico. and. Um, We looked at some of her works and she said, oh, Lola is actually short for Dolores. I didn't know that. So if you didn't know that, now you do. Um, So she was a Mexican painter, printmaker, puppet artist, puppeteer, and craftswoman. She came from a rather wealthy family. And because of this, she was one of the first women, if not the first woman, to attend the Academy of San Carlos during the early teens of the 1900s. This is quite significant because this was one of Mexico's first fine art academies slash museums. It was kind of like museum meets school meets high school. It was really important and it was culturally significant from the, I believe, it actually started early on in colonization, but I have to double check on that. Um, so for her age, she would have started around... 12, 13. That's when she would have started school. And think of her role at this school as sort of like an apprenticeship meets mega strong fine arts middle school slash high school. Of course, the school system there is a bit different and our school system in the US was even different like in the early 1900s. So it was this really, really unique program for her to be in and of course she had the privilege of coming from a family so it was probably a little bit easier for her to get into the school um and one of her classmates was actually David Alfaro Siqueiros and if you have been listening to the podcast since the start we actually had an episode on on Siqueiros so check out that episode it's an earlier one i think it was like episode 4 I want to say, but yeah, her schooling at San Carlos was abruptly cut short or was intermittent because of the 1910 revolution. And something I found interesting during the research of my thesis was that just before the 19, just before this, meaning the 1910 revolution, there was a centennial, which was sort of like this big celebration of Mexican independence. It was like the hundred year anniversary and it featured a student organized exhibition under the guidance of Dr. Atil, um, who was another very well-known Mexican artist. If you don't know about him, probably try and do an episode about him in the future. But um, yeah, he was a super important figure in Mexican art history. And while there isn't any known evidence if she or Siqueiros participated, it would be interesting to know if they did um, because their schooling was quite radical in the sense that it was on the eve of the 1910 revolution. So things were being pushed against the Porfidiato and there was all sorts of stuff going on. and the sources that I had previously used in my research around Koito claim that she chose to focus her schooling on more decorative arts, which kind of looking back, it's a little bit sexist, if you ask me, because she was likely pushed into this if her, in her developmental years because of her gender. But when I was mining her Wikipedia entry, um, it's actually grown, which is really cool. Um, again, don't cite Wikipedia, but it's a great place to see what kind of sources are coming up. And... I was able to find one. And one of the sources claims that as a youth, she was quite radical as a student, just like Siqueiros. And after her abrupt exit from San Carlos, she, along with Siqueiros, entered the Barbizon school and rebelled against the academy. And this Barbizon school was sort of like this outdoor education, and it was really radical. And yeah, um, and I was actually able to track down the scholar that it came from and the article that it came from. And the scholar, it the my Spanish is still getting there. It's not perfect, but it's still, you know, progressing. And it seemed like she was either a PhD candidate in art history or she had recently graduated with her PhD in art history from UNAM, which is like one of the best schools in Mexico, um especially, you know, for art history. And it... I would really like to see which sources she used, because um, this probably has a lot to do with family archives. So they're probably not digitized by any means. And just for my own personal research, and of course, you know, for the podcast, I would really like to know what sources she was using. And if maybe those sources had any inclination of if she participated in that student exhibition at the centennial, which would be super cool. And it would kind of like pull some threads of my own research together. But unfortunately, you know, I can't, but the person she's now like, um, the scholar that, that published that article, she's now somehow related to the governmental side of the department of culture. I forget like what her actual title was, but yeah, so it's a legitimate source. So just make sure if you look at Wikipedia, you're making sure the sources are actually legitimate and they're not like an ancient dot org dot history dot something and oh my gosh the amount of papers i've graded that use sources like that just guys you have access to jstor if you're a university student use it it's beautiful and chef's kiss anyway um so back to lola cueto her early paintings conform to the styles popular in academic training particularly impressionism i had the opportunity to see one of her works um at one of the museums in mexico city and it she's you can tell she's clearly looking back at like Monet, Cezanne, artists like that. And so she's really I mean, this is this is probably a formative painting and judging by when it was painted, I believe it was like 1912 or 13. I'd have to go back and look at my over 500 pictures of just like the 10 days that I was in Mexico City. But um, so yeah, she's this was really early on in her paint in her career as an artist and judging by when she was in school this was probably done while she was still a student because if she had started her studies at the academy in like the early teens of the 1900s this was made around 1913 so she probably would have only been maybe like 16 when she made that work like i said her early paintings were indicative more of like academic styles that had now becoming accepted. such as impressionism, if you know the history of it, it wasn't accepted in the beginning, but that's not that's not the point here. So she quickly moves from this more academic style to what she becomes well known for. And that is working with textiles and puppets, and both of which they would become sort of the primary medium that she would use in her practice. In addition to being a practicing artist, Cueto was also a teacher and her and her husband's home became this hub for up-and-coming artists. She housed and taught Jean Charlot, which was a who was a French artist, and he had a successful career in um, Mexico City. And she was also neighbors with Rivera and Kahlo, which like mega small world. Um, but you can see that she's in this sort of like hub of. Artistic conversation, and her husband was actually also a very important and well-known sculptor, but this episode's not about him, so he can take a back seat, let Lola shine. Anyway, um, so Cueto's artistic contribution is strongly seen in her embroidery and tapestries, and she developed this specific technique for her tapestries that began with the traditional woven aspect and the traditional like embroidered aspect. But she actually blended this with the modern sewing machine. And she was able to create these embroidered embellishments on the surface of the works that were a little bit well, well, not a little bit, but very different from hand hand done embroidery and hand done tapestry. So it was this really unique way to sort of bring the past the present and combine them together and make a new um like a new quality of, of, of craft and it's really cool but um where was I so and oh here we are so her tapestries were also unique because she blended pre-columbian motifs with the modern stylistic motifs such as gourd forms she also would nod to like a lot of natural elements like flowers animals and things like that but the way she did it it again it brought that modern technique and it it had elements of like pre-columbian like the geometricness or like like i said the gourd forms but then it also brought elements of modern folk work where you have like these really intricate floral patterns And she's kind of combining them combining them together to make something completely new. And it's, they're quite beautiful. And, And some of them, they're, some of the works themselves are quite small, like her, her textile works. But the detail is just impeccable. And I mean, I don't know if any of you during the beginning of the pandemic when I don't know if you like sewed your own masks, but I was doing a bunch of like embroidery on my own masks and it was intense and it was so hard. And that was with, you know, absolutely like no understanding of sewing. So like looking back and, and thinking about her works that I was able to see, it's just incredible. Like the amount of detail she was able to achieve. And granted it was with this uh, sewing machine, but that doesn't make it any less valuable. Um, but yeah, so Koito and her husband, um, they eventually went to Paris, and either they moved there, or they would frequently visit, it was very hard to understand given the context of the sources that I had had used in my thesis. And when I looked back at them, it still wasn't any clearer. But she had a very successful career in Paris, as well as her husband. And, um, they freaking loved her. Like French critics really loved her. And I think part of this was because of Jean Charlot. Like he wrote very positively about her work. And um, I mean, yeah, it was really great. And yeah, so like the fact that she had such a successful career in France, specifically in Paris, and then she had a pretty successful career in Mexico. But She's not really talked about until recently in scholarship. And by recently, I mean, like, within the last, like, 20-ish years, which for scholarship, that's pretty, that's pretty new. Um, I know 20 years sounds like a lot, but in the terms of, like, slow responses of, like, oh, somebody finds this artist, and then, okay, that's great, here's what they did. And then you have another scholar that goes, oh, there's this wonderful aspect. Like, I really like that. But, you know, and it's, it's a slow, long conversation, so yeah, I mean, she's only become, I guess, more popular again recently. I know she recently had a retrospective at, I forget which museum it was in Mexico City, but I think that was like last year, the year before. So she's, you know, I mean, she's, she's not unknown. But I did find another source that said, and this was by a male historian, which like, What he said was kind of BS, in my opinion. And he said that her work didn't garner much attention in comparison to her more revolutionary and radical female counterparts, such as Kahlo and Maria Esquerdo, because her work stayed within the confines of gendered labor, and they didn't speak out against the political establishment. Which, like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, this only, like reinforces the tension between fine, the quote, fine arts versus quote, craft, you know, and uh, like, uh, ugh. but I mean, it could have been that my reading Spanish, again, still isn't perfect. So I could have misinterpreted the context, or at least the tonality of what he was saying. But it kind of seemed pretty loaded. And like I said, it kind of reinforced this problem of highbrow versus lowbrow art, you know, and which is like, absolute bullshit, in my opinion. Um, Because I think that that handcraft such as tapestry or weaving in this case, and even the puppets that she makes, I think that has just as much cultural significance as painting. And I mean, this isn't this isn't anything isolated to Mexican art history. This happens all across the academic institution. And here in the US, I mean, I think there's still a lot of sort of like butting heads against like getting craft work to be recognized as fine art, which it absolutely should be. Um, Because I mean, it still takes just as much thought it still takes just as much effort and just as much training to produce. Um, So yeah, no, like this is something that's not it's not isolated to the Mexican art historical context, and I hope you don't take away that. Um, But yeah, it's a constant, this constant rivalry between fine art and craft. And in my opinion, I think that what she's doing is so important because there's already a tension at this point in history between folk art, indigenous art, and pre-Columbian art. And her use of or her nod to these ancient traditional forms, I think is bringing it and elevating it to a higher status. And so at this point in history in, in Mexico, you have the folk, which is typically created by indigenous hand, but it's much different than Mesoamerican work. So like those ancient Mexican artists and the works that we would talk about in like the Teotihuacan episode. Um so there's this conflation of the ancient indigenous person with the modern indigenous person, but they're more like the me- Mexican government and the upper class was much more critical of modern indigenous populations because, again, it goes back to that problem of the quote, "sleeping Indian end quote that was used by Vasconcelos, Manuel Gamio, and so many other influential, people in mexican government and in the mexican like education sphere whatever have you that i think her her use of folk art techniques and her bringing this or revolutionizing like it was like i believe Jean Charlot said of the tapestry like embroidery i think really elevates craft and rightfully so it elevates craft because the folk, the folk art tradition in Mexico is very rich, and it's very beautiful, and it goes back to a lot of pre-Columbian ideas, but it's also so different because they're blending what they learned from the colonial context. So it's this unique, already sort of like amalgamation of different styles put together, and... Um, I actually had the opportunity to see a more folk exhibition at the Academy of San Carlos in Mexico City. It was actually right across the street from our hostel. And they have this really, really beautiful exhibition. It was actually about bugs. Um, but towards the end, you see all of these hand-created puppets. And, I mean, I can't help but think that Coito's use of the puppet and sort of elevation of the puppet, you know, really maybe it influenced this production, or maybe she was influenced by it, you can see that there's some sort of dialogue happening. And I really appreciate that. And I don't know, some of them were like these mythical forms, like you would see, like, I think, the movie Coco, which I mean, it's a Disney movie, so how accurate can it be, right? I mean, I'm not saying it's accurate at all. But if you had watched it, you know, there's a the concept of the Isle of Viges, and they kind of had some of those in this exhibition that I saw, but it was like, They were little papier-mâché creatures, and then they also had, like, corn and bugs and all sorts of things, and they talked about how, like, the dye and the paint, or pigment, rather, that they used was made from some of these bugs and, like, the importance not only of insects in, like, diet of Indigenous people, but the importance of them in art. And so it was this really cool exhibition. Like, her works weren't anywhere in that, but they were in... I saw like some of her works in other museums, including um Bellas Artes and like one other I forget I kind of mix up the name. It's like the National Museum of Art, which is different than the Mbeas Artes. Um, but yeah, she has works in both and you can see like the traction of like what is more popular in her work. So the one it was like the I think it was called the National Museum. It had. She had like almost an entire room dedicated to her. It was. I mean, it was small, but most of her, most of the work in there was her own, and it included like a painting, some of her puppets, and then on the outside she had like a couple other paintings, but mostly like these cute little puppet guys, and some of them were like hand puppets, and some of them were um, like they looked more like paper mache, and then at the they had her embroidery and so it was like in a different way to experience the artist and the sort of like conversation she was having with traditional Mexican art practices and sort of bringing it into a more like modern context I feel like that might be a little bit problematic and I don't mean it to be but I just mean like how she's blending all of these different things that she's learned about and was probably exposed to as you know um a uh, A young person in Mexico City and granted I mean this is all through the lens of she's a very wealthy person she probably I don't want to say but she probably didn't have a lot of indigenous like ties in her family and that's not to say she didn't I don't want to you know like say something that's false but her privilege as an upper class woman in Mexican society you know should be accounted for too but there aren't enough sources, primary sources about her. And she's still, again, becoming a little bit more well-known in the U.S. context. So I don't have access to the sources and I feel like it can't make like a perfect claim or like a strong claim about her own like subjectivity to the works that she's producing. Other than there might be a little bit of problem like taking credit away from indigenous people rather than, you know, works are really cool. And I feel like I've said that a lot. But I definitely think that she's more revolutionary than some of the scholarship that I found has given her credit for. Because just because she's not like primarily using paint doesn't mean she's not actively changing the scope of Mexican art history. And yeah, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know I'm getting to that 30 minute mark and I don't really want to go over. Um, I'm going to plug the website again because I'm very excited for it. And it's www.artwatchpodcast.com. You can purchase merch. You can listen to episodes. You can contact me. You can learn about me and then there's going to be blog posts. It's going to be great. We're all doing this together. Uh, But check out the website, buy some merch, show your love for Artwatch and um, become a patron. Contact me if you think I got anything wrong in this episode, in a previous episode. My email is artwatchpodcast at gmail.com. I would eventually like to revisit Cueto because I think she's a very interesting figure in art history and I think that she hasn't been given her due credit um, by many art historians, not just myself and I would really like to, you know, keep pushing her into the larger conversation about art history. Um, So yeah, message me. Follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter at ArtWatchPodcast. Become a patron, patreon.com ArtWatchPodcast. Or if you can't remember that, just go to the website, ArtWatchPodcast.com. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. <music>